We are in the book of Hebrews, but we are going to do things a little bit different today. So let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your guidance. We thank you for your leading. Allow, Lord, your word to be understood and experienced by your people, that we all may be able to live for you in the way you desire, that some of the stuff we're carrying would be a bit lighter when we leave because we've been instructed, we've been equipped, we've been shown that it's important to give it to you. So help us in that. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Family, words are important. Words are these things that can be used for great good. They can be used for great evil, too. I still remember some friends that I'm like, dang, man, I hurt my homie because I said that. And I wish I wish I can get those words back. Words can be used to bless, build up, and they can be used to tear down. Words, though, are just things put together to form ideas. Sometimes that idea can be to educate you, to teach you something so you can learn something. Sometimes it can be like Edith last night where you just form the words perfectly to make a joke and everybody on the ground just laughing. Words can be formed with a purpose. And sometimes words just don't make a ton of sense. You ever sometime got a person you love and they telling the story and you're like, yeah, yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> I, what? Say, say that again. I, I, need, I didn't catch that. I, I didn't understand that. Sometimes words can actually seem like they are in conflict with one another. That's what we call in the English language an oxymoron, where it just doesn't seem like these words should be, should be together. And so sometimes you might hear something like alone together. Maybe you hear something like, climb down. Your mind says, well, huh? We had a close distance. Go ahead and grow smaller. You know, it's like, it's like words, sometimes you, you're like, you, you understand the meaning, but they just seem to be, to be at odds with one another. I don't eat this stuff, but people all the time say, I'm going to go get some jumbo shrimp. Like that, well, what? Huh? That, that doesn't make sense to me. And so today, y'all, as we dive into God's word, we're going to seemingly enter into something that looks like an oxymoron from God. We're going to look at God's word and it's going to seem like the words that the Lord is communicating just don't line up like they are in conflict. So I invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 6. But that's going to be our second place of looking. The first place is going to be Genesis chapter 22. We've been in our series of Hebrews where we are fixing our gaze upon Jesus. Our focus is on Jesus. But today we're going to preach it and teach it and hear it a little bit differently. Because each time I and Pastor Kay and others have been equipping you. But today I'm not Pastor Leon. Today my name is Abraham. And my boo is Sarah. So I need you to look with me, Abraham, in Genesis chapter 22. 
it starts with some words that God said to me. God said to me what seemed like an oxymoron. God said to me, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. And forgive me, y'all, we usually have our scriptures up front. They're up there? My team don't be playing. Y'all better quit playing back there. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. He said to me to take my son. See, if you knew a little bit about my background, you would know I'm an OG. I came on the scene with you understanding who I was. I was about 75 years old, and the Lord had done some miraculous things, done things in the life of my family and done things in my life where I was able to taste and see that the Lord was good. But there are some times where there's just one thing that you long for. And Sarah and I had our one thing. Actually, Sarah and I go, go back kind of far. We go back so far that our names was different when we met. Sarah and I go back. But there were some things that we were able to be blessed with, with, with some family relational healing, with some, some land that we were able to acquire. But there was one thing that we were longing for, and it was to pass on our inheritance to a child. Yeah, we had slaves, we had servants, we had people in our community, but we did not want to give everything the Lord blessed us with to someone who wasn't related to us. We wanted to give it to an heir. And so there was this longing from the two of us, and the Lord came and spoke. The Lord spoke, not because we deserved it, not because he owed it to us, not because I was so good. In actual, if you, if you look back at my track record, I've done some stupid stuff. I was scared and told some people that my wife w w was my sister. It don't make sense to you. Yeah, it didn't make sense to me either, but I was scared. You do stupid stuff when you're scared too. And so you, you, you can see that there's, I'm, I'm, I'm entering into God doing something for us, not because of who I am, but because of who he is. And he said this thing to me, and it rocked my mind because it seemed like an oxymoron. He said to us that he will make a great nation out of me. That flowing out of who I am was going to be a great nation, and sometimes things just seem to go together. I mean, if you got a bunch of cookies, you're going to drink that with some. It, 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 come on, help me out, Corey. Where are you at? I thought I heard him. Yeah, it, they go hand in hand. And so usually a great nation is started by some people. And God must not have got the message that me and wifey were a bit older. We're getting this message and we're now in our 90s and we're getting this message. And he's saying, you're going to be great. You're going to be a great nation that flows through you. And that's where we began to rest. 
That's where some of the unrest began to get easy, where God spoke something, something we couldn't understand, something we couldn't wrap our minds around, something that actually was a bit laughable, and Boo did it when she wasn't supposed to. It was comical that God would say to us, we're going to have a child. But then he asked me to do something with that child. He's asking me to take this child, this child that's going to be the ripple effect of great nations, this child who we've waited for and longed for. He's asking me now to offer this child as a burnt offering. A burnt offering, something that happens as often as you and I go to McDonald's. A burnt offering, something that is as common in our community as texting. A burnt offering which was just the way we worshiped, whether it was seeking God to change something or thanking God for what he changed. Burnt offerings happened every other moment. But now this burnt offering, this request, this desire of God was different because he's asking for the one that I love. He's asking for the one, the only one child that I have. So what did I do? Look in verse 3. I got up early in the morning. I went ahead and I saddled the donkey. I took two young men with me uh, and, and I grabbed my son. We cut some wood and we took that for the burnt offering and we went to this place that God had told us to head to. And I did as the Lord commanded. And sometimes you do as the Lord commanded, not because you understand the outcome, not because you know how it's all going to play out, because you know God is saying to take a step and you take one and then you take another. And that's what I was doing in this moment. I did not know how things would play out, but I knew God had told me to do something. And I wanted to be obedient. So look in verse five. I get with my young men, and we, we come to this place where I can see in the distance where I'm going to set up the altar, and I tell them, stay here. Stay with the donkeys. They are here to carry the wood. They are here to carry the food. They are here to be a support to me, but they are not going to be present in this worship experience. But I tell them something, and don't you miss this. I tell them, we, my son and I, we will be back. We will be back. Together, he and I are coming back. Don't leave. Stay present. I'm going to need your help when we head back to town. My son and I will return. It's a, uh, a step out when you know God has promised you something. See, a promise is something that you can be sure of even when you feel unrest about it. A promise is something that you can believe in even when, when the person may be questionable. I've had people in my life where I'm like, I don't know about your promises, but depend on what backs them, I'm like, okay, let's go for it. So I've had family member like, hey, man, I got you. I'll loan you that. And then they sibling like, if they don't loan it to you, I got you. Okay. I can trust and believe you. Some of y'all needed to do that yourself. You need to get your first place. And they looked at you like, boy, I see your credit. And then your mama stepped in like, I got your back. 
See, the promise can be something verbal, but what makes a promise solid is the one backing it up. And you see, I understood that even though I didn't know what was going to happen, I understood that God had promised a great nation. So I don't know what's about to happen, but me and him, we coming back. But there's something else that has happened. You see, we believe that it is impossible for God to lie. So we use his authority to sometimes validate our promises. We use who God is in order to give credibility to the promises we make. Have you ever, maybe you as a kid, I hope you don't always do this still, but have you ever been telling someone something that you was going to do and then they don't look like they believe you and you say, no, I swear to God. You've used God's name to give you more credibility, to give other people peace in order to feel confidence in the words you're saying. You've used God's name to gird you up and have your back, to validate the promise that you are making. But who does God use when he needs to validate? Who does God use when he's trying to make sure that the world understands his promise is true The beauty of God is he uses himself. I am that I am. And so even though I didn't understand what was going to happen, even though I was scared, even though I'm looking at my son and my son is looking at me, we've done this a thousand times. We've taken things to go and worship the Lord and they never came back alive, even though I received direct word from God. I know His promises and his words are true, and there's no way he's going to lie to me. It is impossible for him to lie, and therefore, we walk. Therefore, we walk. Continue with me in verse 6. And so we take that burnt offering, and we laid it down. And we get there, and my son Isaac said to me, Father, The fire and the wood is here, but where is the lamb? Where is that burnt offering? We've done this time and time again. Dad, something seems wrong. Where is what we're going to offer up to the Lord? And I can't tell him because I don't have an answer. What I can say to him is, son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. He will provide. And so in verse 22, I mean, chapter 22, verse 8, I stand on that verse. And when we arrive, verse 9, I begin to build the altar. I lay down the wood. I begin to take my son's hands and tie them around the post. I begin to allow him to realize this formula that we've done again and again. And he says nothing. He's quiet. And at that moment, I begin to do what the Lord is asking me. In the moment where I know God's promise is real, I begin to take out my knife. You may be saying, what am I thinking? And I am thinking too many things. 
I'm thinking maybe my son will be protected by a fire that the Lord just brings down. I'm thinking maybe God will allow this knife to be too dull to even work and this God, just my trying will be enough. I'm thinking maybe God will allow my son to pass and two seconds later resurrect him and bring him back. I don't know. All I know is God has promised me. All I know is he said that I will have a son and a great nation will flow out of him, not for my glory, but for his glory alone. And so scared, not knowing, I follow. And just before I strike my son, a voice cries out. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. That which I held dearest, that which I loved the most, that which I, which you couldn't imagine doing, that which seems so outside of the realm of God actually is God showing up yet one more time, fulfilling his promises. The Lord will provide. And promise after promise after promise, we see the Lord will provide. I was challenged. I was called. I was asked. I was commanded to offer up a sacrifice which was so close to my heart. But what's so close to your heart that you wouldn't give it to God? What's so near and dear that God can have everything else except this? I remember talking with a friend, and as their child was going to the mission field, he said, I wanted all things except for them to go there. Scary, right? But God promises to come through for us. And that is the God we serve. One who cannot lie. One who it is impossible for him to lie. And one who wants to care for us. I now bring you to Hebrews chapter 6. I bring you to our story that we've continued through. And we are looking, starting at verses 13 through 20. Hebrews chapter 6, starting at verse 13. It says, For when God made a promise to Abraham... Since he had no greater, no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. 
For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after order of Melchizedek. You see, the the Old Testament gives you these stories, these narratives, because they want you to step in. So you don't just get straight facts communicated in words as often in the Old Testament. Often what happens in the Old Testament is a story. And when you step inside of a story, you feel some of the emotion. You feel some of the fear. You feel some of the tension. And you get to experience some of the joy. You get to experience some of the high points, some of the successes, some of the promises fulfilled. I'm sure them homies came, the the guys that helped Abraham walk up like, what is he going to do? Is he about to do this to his son? Oh, my goodness, what's about to happen? And when he came back down with Isaac was like, yes, they were excited. There was joy there because God has shown himself faithful again. But here comes the, 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 the challenge. See, the Hebrew writer is referencing Abraham because Abraham went through some stuff and God came through faithful. And now he's saying to the Hebrew community and saying to our community, do you believe? Do my, are my promises still real? Will I be with you in the midst of the greatest challenge? Is there something that you could hold so dear that you wouldn't be willing to give me? Trust me with it. I won't lie to you. Trust me with it. I will come through for you. No, each of us is not uh, um, uh, Abraham. But each of us have promises that the Lord has made to us again and again that are faithful and are true. God says, I will never leave you, never forsake you. God says that I love you. God says that there is an eternal rest that I want you to have, and the, the, these current momentary things are just a, 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 a blink in the eye for the eternal joy that I want you to experience. So push on. God says, you are mine. So I know the world got some voices and I know that they got some some things they're trying to send you. I know they're trying to grab your mindset, but God says, no, you mine. So you behave, you conduct yourself, you live with a different rhythm. See, these are promises God has made to see you to the end. The question is, how will we respond? Well, we need to respond by cutting on the AC right now. That's what we need to do. (laughs) but God longs for us to have 
Abraham type faith. Why? Not because we are so good, because he wasn't so good. Not because we don't make mistakes, because he made mistakes. Why? Because we believe in a God who comes through. That's it. A God who is faithful, a God who will again and again and again show himself true. And so we invite you today. We invite you today to experience a God who desires relationship with you. We invite you today to understand a promise. You've had many promises made to you in your life, and sadly, some of those have broke, been broken. There's been some pain caused by them. And God today wants to bring forth some healing in you so that you can understand if there is no one else I feel like I can trust and be vulnerable with God, it is you. But it is an offer that God makes. He does not force him his way into you trusting him. It is an offer. And today we are giving you the opportunity to accept it. To accept this Jesus that says, I love you so much that I died so that you could have new life. I love you so much that the rhythms that you were in, the sinful patterns, those things where you keep saying, I did it again. Dang, I'm not going to do it. Then you did it again. That, that rhythm of sin, of wrong choices, of bad thoughts, bad ideas, bad execution. He said, I want to break that. I'm here so that you can have a new reality, live under a new banner, walk with new power and strength. I'm here. But will you believe me? Will you trust this promise that I'm making to you? That I love you and I will see you to the end. If you want to walk that walk, if you want to live that manner, if you want to say, Lord, I accept your invitation, simply Close your eyes and pray this prayer with me. Lord, I believe in you. Lord, I understand I sin against you. Sin breaks your heart. But I don't want to live that way anymore. I believe Jesus came so I could be free. And his blood cleanses me from my sinful past. Thank you for letting me start anew in you. And thank you for giving me the Holy Spirit as I walk. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Family, if you prayed that prayer in your heart, like you, you, you may have said it with your mouth, Praise the Lord. If you, if you didn't say it with your mouth and you were saying it internally, what matters is that you actually believe it. And we want to be a church that walks with you, that supports you, that cares for you, that communicates God's promises to you. And we want that for you and your family. And so uh, if you have accepted Christ today, we want to ask you, come up front afterwards. I'll be up here praying for people. Pastor Kay will be in the back. We would love to follow up with you and see this church support you. If it's not this church and you still pray that prayer, we want to see God do great things in your life. And we will help you find a church that might be closer to your home. It's not about MacAv. It's about you growing in Christ. And that is our greatest desire and joy. At this time.